John's Gospel, chapter 10. And Colin's going to read to us from verse 1 to verse 30. It's on page 1076 in the Bibles in front of you. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Verily, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of of the blind? Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered round him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. 
My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. God bless that reading. Well, let's just take a quiet moment to prepare our hearts for coming to God's word and ask that he'll speak to us. Lord, we know that you're here this morning. Because we use sheep. And we know your voice. But speak to us now so that we hear you clearly, we pray. Speak through your word, the Bible. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there should be PowerPoint. Yeah, I just wondered if anybody is really fond of sheep. Is anybody really fond of sheep? Hands up if you're really fond of sheep. Thank you. Oh, well, we've got a handful of... Uh, well done. Okay, in real life, up close and personal. They're renowned for being smelly, for being a bit thick. They have a tendency to wander off on their own. And then they have a tendency on other occasions to all wander off and do their own things. And I know somebody who does love sheep. It just reminded me when I was thinking of this. And also, I got a message from John Gorst in, in SportsReach. And I remember him having pictures of sheep on his phone. Um, um, and not your average sheep, but kind of like the, um, I think they call them the tup. Um, that's kind of like the, the ram that they use for, for breeding from. And John would kind of like have, not quite pin-up pictures, but he'd have like pictures of tups, you know, on, on his phone. There's a man who really loves sheep. But Jesus loves sheep. Jesus really loves his sheep. And the context, and I think this is important, is that this story, it, it picks up from the story last week. So Jesus has just re-met up with the man born blind who he'd healed. And he's given sight back to this man. And then he, um, the man's been um, hauled up in front of the the Pharisees and the, and the Jewish leaders, and they've checked him out, and then they've thrown him out, and then Jesus has kind of caught up with him later on, and there are still some Pharisees um, tagging along with Jesus at this point where he's caught up with the man bought blind. So these two metaphors actually um, are back to back, and, and I think that's important. So Jesus, he's with the man born blind who now sees, and he's with some Pharisees who ironically are still blind. And our passaging today, we need to do Shepherding 101. Our passaging today is fairly straightforward when you realise that Jesus is not telling a parable. Okay? It's not a parable. In fact, John says in verse 6, he says, it's a figure of speech. Okay, we said earlier on uh, in the series, John, uh, John doesn't tell any, any parables. 
Well, what, what's the difference? Why does it matter? Well, a parable is usually a story. It's a constructed story with a, a single central theme. And this is different. It's an illustration. It's what we would call an illustration, like you have in a, in, in a sermon illustration. In other words, it's a real-life situation that Jesus' hearers would have known about, and from which he draws more than one point. That's why you get this thing about being the gate. Um, you get the thing about being the shepherd and about knowing his voice and all this stuff. Jesus is drawing more than one um, teaching point out of the same illustration. So let's have a little look at the Near East shepherding basics, in case you really do love sheep. Um, this is how it worked. And this is probably still how it works in, in areas around the world today. Town or village would have a, a communal sheepfold or enclosure. It would be fenced or it would be walled. And all the shepherds, all the local shepherds would bring in their sheep for the night. And then somebody would be hired to stand guard over it as a kind of gatekeeper or watchman overnight. And the only way in overnight was kind of over the wall or over the fence. And then in the morning, the gatekeeper would um, admit the genuine shepherds. And each shepherd would come along and he would call his sheep. And literally call them and they would come out. And they would follow him. And that's how it happens, how it still works. Sheep recognize his voice and they go out with him. And they don't follow another shepherd. You would imagine, wouldn't you, if you stood in front of a flock of sheep and said, what are you supposed to say? Come, sheepies. Um, then they would all come, but they don't. It's only the ones who know your voice. So Jesus is having a go at the Pharisees. They're not just bad shepherds. They're thieves and robbers who've climbed in over the fence. And they should understand... Because it's happened before, but they don't. So we're going to turn back to where it happened before, and the reading's going to come up on the screen. Um, it's Ezekiel 34. I think it's important um, to get a bit of context. By the way, I should have said there are sermon notes, obviously, on there, they, um, mainly on the windowsills, or there's some spare one here, if that helps you along the way. And the words come up in yellow here, and the words search on the... But here we go. This is interesting. This is Ezekiel. So this is just after 600 BC. Ezekiel has already been... Um, the, the nation of Babylon have already come along and, and started to take control of Israel. And they've taken some of the people um, back with them to Babylonia. And they've taken Ezekiel. Um, and the danger is that the whole nation is going to be taken. And the word of the Lord came to me, he says. This is while well, he's in exile. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should, you, should, you, should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, slaughter the choice animals, but you don't take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed those who are ill or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched for them or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. 
as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord. Because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so it has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. Because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I'll remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. You get the message, don't you? For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. Does a shepherd look after his scattered flock when he's with them? So I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them from out the nations and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another and between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clean water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you've trampled and drink what you've muddied with your feet? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you've driven them away, I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd. This is the important bit. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. This is long after the days of King David, of course. My servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So it's happened before. It's happened before in Israel's history. They've had leaders who care for themselves and not the flock. They've benefited from the people's resources, but they've not healed the sick or searched for the lost. They've ruled them harshly, and so the people are scattered. And at this point in time, they're taken into exile. And the Lord condemns you. He says, I'll hold you accountable. I'll remove you. I'll stop you feeding on them. It speaks to leadership of any kind, actually. At any point in time and in any era. Any era. Who does the leadership benefit? It's the question. It speaks to any kind of leadership. I started watching a program about Jeff Bezos and Amazon. And the important thing is this, that the Lord says, because the leadership of Israel uh, uh, has failed, the leadership of God's people has failed, he will turn shepherd. And he says, I myself will rescue them, I myself will gather them. I'll pass them, I'll search for them, I'll bind them up, I'll shepherd them. 
and I will send them one shepherd. And isn't that interesting that God says, I will shepherd them, and he says, I will send them a shepherd. Isn't that a little bit like John 1? This person who is God and this person who yet was with God, Father and the Son. Who's this one shepherd? It's another David. It's, it's somebody with a King David shepherd heart, a, a shepherd king. Who's that person? It's Jesus. Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity incarnate. So God says, I will be their shepherd. And he does by coming himself. And it's, it's just a lovely picture. Just a lovely picture of how God sees his flock. And, and God cares for his flock. But before we get there, Jesus pulls out another picture. He says, I'm the gate. He says, I'm the gate for the sheep. So the people in the sheepfold are the people of God. Up to this point, it's Israel and all those who, who've joined them. And the Pharisees and the, and the leaders of Israel, he says, are not true shepherd. All have come before me are thieves and robbers. Like the leaders in Ezekiel's time. So, even in Jesus' time, the leaders, they're still fleecing the sheep. Pardon the pun. It's all about self-interest. The net effect on the sheep is they're killed and destroyed. And Jesus says, from now on, from this point on in history, I am the gate. I am the gate. I am the way to being one of God's people. Of course, it's echoed again, isn't it? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's the same expression, really, isn't it? I am the gate. You have to come through me. It's a single entrance point um, to the people of God. It's an, yes, it's an exclusive claim. And enter through Jesus, and what does he say? Through me you'll be saved. You come in and go out. You'll find pasture. And you'll have life and have it to the full. When you come in through the gate, you get salvation, freedom, nourishment, life to the full. Is that you? Is that you? One of the things I think that's important for Christians to do is to not pretend. Just to not pretend. Have you been saved? What have you been saved from? Do you really know? Are you really clear about what you've been saved from? Have you looked at what the alternative to being saved is and looked on it with horror and terror? Have you, do you look on being bound up to yourself and sin and never being able to escape from it? Uh, it's a horrible, horrible and terrible thing. Do you, do you see the reality of, of hell, of punishment that goes on forever and never, never stops? That's what salvation is. That's what you're saved from. Have you experienced freedom? The freedom is from God's judgment and from, from worrying about what he feels about you. You're free from trying to earn, um, from trying to earn your way into God's good books. At that point, you should say, woo Okay. 
You're free. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so why do we look more like people who are trying to save our lives than people who are trying to lose them? Jesus says all who try to save their lives will, will, will lose them. And all who prepare to lose their lives for me will save them. Why do we look more like people who are desperately trying to save our lives? Trying to get control of our lives. Why do we look, why do we look more like that than people who are trying to lose their lives in Christ? Nourishment. So he says you, be, you go in and come out. That's a kind of freedom, isn't it? And he says, you'll find safe pasture. Are you spiritually full? So when Jesus offers the woman of the well water, when he uh, feeds the 5,000 and he offers his here and there, the bread of life, are are you spiritually full? Are your appetites, are are your core um, appetites, are they filled? Or are you plagued with appetites that you can't fulfill and maybe you don't even understand? And his life to the full. Have you got, in a sense, some kind of fullness of life? Christian life has its cost. Okay. So not claiming that it's pain-free. And it is about taking up the cross and following Christ. But are you full in any sense of the word? Or you're just empty inside and you're pretending. That's what the Pharisees were doing. That's called Pharisaism. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they'd whitewashed the outside. On the inside, they were just empty and dusty and dry and full of evil. Do you know, I was trying to find a clip this morning of um, uh, Bilbo Baggins. Okay, um, in, in front of Gandalf. Um, do you know the beginning of the first, the Fellowship of the Ring? Um, and he says, he says, I feel thin, Gandalf. He says, I feel like, you feel like butter stretched over too much bread. Um, so you fool or you, and he says, I, I want mountains, Gandalf. <laughs> so it's kind of, um, he, he, he's desperate for something more. First, the first thing we need to do as, as Christians is, is to stop pretending. It's so easy to be a whitewashed tomb. It goes for all of us. And I think really part of progressing in the Christian life is working out how much you've whitewashed the outside and how much you've still got to change on the inside. Or maybe how much things haven't changed on the inside. So this is what Jesus offers, Salvation freedom, nourishment, and a full life. Not gonna, I'm not condemning you for not having those things. No, don't, I'm, I'm encouraging you just to be honest about it and to cry out to the Lord if that's the case. Because Jesus has made provision. Jesus is the, Jesus is the good shepherd. So he draws his, his, his second illustration. So first of all, he says, um, I'm, I'm the gate 
um, back there in verse 7. And then he says in verse 11 and in verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. And he's the good shepherd, first of all, because he cares for his own. And the contrast is with the hired hand. They hire somebody to kind of look after the sheep for the night, but the problem is when a threat comes, a wolf, say, um, he runs off. They're not his sheep. They're not my sheep, mate. I'm not if a wolf comes. Yeah, okay, I'll stand there overnight, but, you know, keep them from wandering off. But, hey, if the wolf comes, I'm off. Not my sheep, mate. Jesus says, these are my sheep. You are my sheep. I'm going to stand... And I will stay and I will die if necessary. Jesus sees this wolf, which is called death and judgment, uh, approaching his flock, about to devour them, and he stands in the, in the doorway and dies. Pays the ultimate sacrifice so that the wolf of death and the wolf of, uh, of judgment before God, because of who you are, done away with. It's just, it's just a lovely picture from domestic rural life. Jesus the shepherd. He's a bit like the other shepherd king, which is David. So David in the, in the Goliath story sees the kind of like um, the, the, threat of the threat coming and he stands up and, and kills it. And David does it with a sling and some stones and Jesus kills for us death and judgment but he does it at the cost of his own life that theme is not developed here so we won't take it anymore for the moment so the shepherd makes a sacrifice but the question we haven't answered is how do you get to be one of Jesus sheep see Jesus says there's going to be more sheep in another sheep fold so he's going to go to non-Jews so the Gentiles as well and he's going to make one flock out of Jews and Gentiles. Note. And there's going to be one shepherd over them. There's kind of one way of them to be right with God. It's one flock, one shepherd. But the common thing between them all is that they, they hear and recognize the shepherd's voice. Each shepherd comes to the, she- comes to the sheepfold and, and, and calls his own. And Jesus' sheep are simply the people who hear his voice and go, that's my shepherd. That's my shepherd. They come into church or hear it on the radio or maybe somebody preaching out on the street or, or through a leaflet or something you see on TV, but I mean, it's a bit of the Bible or somebody explained the Bible. And you hear the voice and go, that's my shepherd. They hear the voice of the Son of God, um, speaking to them. There is a moment of deep spiritual um, recognition. Jesus makes this incredible statement here. I know the sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. That's kind of, that's pretty, that's amazing, isn't it? His sheep know him, and vice versa, just as Jesus knows the Father. And vice versa. Jesus knows his Father, the Son in the Trinity knows the Father as the one to whom he owes obedience, the one to whom he, he does obey out of, out of this mutual love to the extent that he'll lay down his life in loving obedience. 
And so Jesus' sheep know him as the one to whom they owe obedience. What does that look like? What does that feel like? For sheep, it has to be a, a, a deep knowing. Deep knowing that, that Jesus um, is your shepherd. We're talking about evidence for God on Friday. We're looking, we're looking at science and Christianity, but there's another kind of evidence, which is this knowledge when you become a Christian, that you've come into a relationship. It's an experiential knowledge. There's something that happens um, deep down that you know that you know God and you know that he knows you. You know that you've come into a relationship. You know that he loves you. You know that he cares for you. You see that he answers prayer for you. You have confidence that he's... He's looking out for you. So one of the things the sheep have is they have, they, they hear the voice and they recognize it, hear the voice of Jesus and recognize it. And they have somewhere a deep, a, a, a powerful connection, conviction, knowledge in some strange sense of Jesus. Vice versa, that's how it should be. That's how it can be. Very briefly, the shepherd, thirdly, is a shepherd's secure care. There's, you notice in the middle there was a bit of a jump. We went over to the Feast of Dedication. Um, that's about three months later. And Jesus makes another point that his, his sheep are secure. No one can snatch them out of my hand. He says, um, I give them eternal life. They can never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Did I tell you on the, on the sermon notes, there's that little tick list on the back, you know. Uh, Trinity, here we are again. Jesus' sheep are secure. Jesus has given them eternal life. In other words, they'll always be accepted by God. They'll never be subjected to judgment. So they'll never perish. And they've listened to the voice. And ultimately, they've only listened to the voice because the Father has given them to Jesus. The Father has done something in them which causes them to recognize uh, the voice of Jesus. But once they're in the flock, then they're secure. Because the Father makes sure that they're secure. Actually, you're utterly secure, can we say, in the care of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There can be no safer place, can there, in life than to be in the care of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Are you a sheep? Then is the question. I was going to say, if you're a sheep, say bah, but that's, kind of, that's probably a bit childish, isn't it? It's just a... Um, You've trusted him for salvation. That means being rescued from eternal punishment. For freedom. Freedom from having to work out your own salvation. Proving your righteousness before the Lord. You're free from that. Trust him for nourishment. He's going to fill you spiritually. He's going to fill your appetites. This is really key. Because otherwise we go searching in all kinds of other places. 
that he's going to give you a full life. And when you abandon your life to Christ, rather than trying to hold on to it, it gets fuller rather than emptier. That's the irony, isn't it? And the alternative to kind of put those metaphors that Jesus used back together again is that you're still blind. Blind to your status and blind to your needs. If you, if you haven't perceived any of that, it's because you still think you have it all under control. Or you think that you should have it all under control. Or you think you can have it all under control. All of which are false. You don't have it all under control. You cannot have it all under control. You're not intended to have it all under control. Those are the jobs of the shepherd. This would be like... To think that you've got it all under control. That you can be right with God. That you can make it would be like a sheep thinking that it can shut the gate or light a fire or fight a wolf and it can't those are the shepherd's jobs so I want to say a couple of simple things and and step one stop pretending stop pretending pretending is pharisaism you can't can't have a deeper knowledge of God and of Christ until you stop pretending and you face what's on the inside Two is to say, bah, okay, like a stuck sheep. Come to God and go, meh, can't do it. Can't save myself, I can't feed myself, I can't make myself righteous before God, I can't fill my life with anything that really matters. I'm a stuck sheep. Come and rescue me. And then when he's pulled you out of the thicket, step three is to follow Follow him wherever he goes and and lose your life for him in the confidence that it makes it fuller and and not emptier. And the result? The result is Psalm 23. Have a shepherd who leads you beside quiet waters, guides you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, restores your soul, eats with you, as it were, in the midst of your enemies takes you on the road home and ultimately sees you there in glory.